we kind of like thought about it and kind of like poured over this and we're like, wow, these questions are not only useful theoretically, useful from a learner perspective, but it's also useful from a instructor perspective. And so we, we kind of convinced ourselves like how much we liked it from these different angles, because we think it can impact kind of different facets of a pretty complex problem, right? How can feedback be motivating and how can it further learning? And so we wanted to make sure all of these different angles were addressed in our work. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hi, Brad. Hi, Tiffany. Are you glad I'm back? I am glad you're back. I'm always okay, glad good. Okay. I couldn't do this alone. All right. While we're on the topic, I'm also thankful. Sometimes we just need to give that shout out to our mixed media producer behind the scenes, Mike Jones. I'm thankful Mike's here too. But we are joined today by actually the content expert of my dissertation and my doctoral journey. Um, this is someone I am so excited that I connected with. And as Brad mentioned in the pre-show that I do follow his research and actually read those scholarly journals. I don't even know if he realizes I'm following along, but we are joined today on the show by Carlton Fong. Dr. Carlton Fong is an assistant professor at Texas State University's College of Education and studies the motivational, self-regulatory, instructional, sociocultural, and contextual factors associated with college student learning and development. As an educational psychologist by training, Carlton seeks to understand the psychological mechanisms undergirding college students' academic growth and how learning contexts can support such development. He's also an expert in meta-analysis and serves as an editor of Campbell Systematic Reviews, in addition to an editorial board member of various journals, such as Educational Psychology Review, Learning and Instruction, and Journal of College Reading and Learning. Carlton is also the chair of the Motivation and Education SIG of the American Educational Research Association. His research on college student learning has been published in top journals, such as Journal of Educational Psychology, Review of Educational Research, Educational Research Review, Contemporary Educational Psychology, and Journal of Diversity in Higher Education. In 2021, Carlton was recognized as an Association for Psychological Science Rising Star. We are so grateful to welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. Carlton Fong, it's great to have you here. It is so awesome to be here. Yeah, really thrilled. I think I told you earlier, this is my first podcast. So I think <laughs> y'all get like, y'all get like, I don't know, <laughs> punishment, a prize. I don't know what this is, but uh, <laughs> but you get me. Yeah. Can't tell you how many times I've heard this statement from Tiffany. Well, according to Carlton Fong, <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, no, what really did happen was our staff was collectively reading a book and we're reading it and we're partway through this book study and I'm looking at the cover, which has numerous authors actually on it. But I thought, see, oh, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I think my content expert is an author on this book. <laughs> and that just started a series of me looking at everything. Is he on this? Is he on that? <laughs> so... It's great to have you here. Well, in, oh, I'm flattered. Thank you. <laughs> in true digital to learn fashion, we start with some getting to know you questions. So our first one is, 
let's say you're a high school senior again, if you can even imagine it, and your current educational career pathway that you've chosen is off the table for whatever reason, what industry would you step foot in? Ooh, this is a good question. Um, I guess it's not a totally different pathway because I guess I still consider it part of education, but maybe like a closet dream I've had is to be a high school choir director, like a show choir director. Wow. So I did theater and piano and choir all throughout middle school and part of college as well. And so I just thought it would be really cool to have music be like more part of my life and to work with youth and have that experience. And so I still kind of wish I'm like, oh, that would be kind of a, a cool thing <laughs> to pursue. So I'm, I'm wanting to cheer you on in that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I might volunteer something something with yeah. That. yeah i was at a conference last week and they had a q a at the end of this one session and this guy stood up he's a college professor full-time i'm not sure in what area but he also indicated that three or four mornings a week he's a volunteer substitute teacher at a middle school what? wow it's like wow so i saw wow. him later i said what's wrong with you <laughs> a middle school for crying out loud yeah it's amazing so we want to take you to dinner we want to celebrate your recent recognition as one of the top producing early career scholars in the field of educational leadership you get to pick the restaurant where are we going to go Ooh, also a good question i am also a foodie so i love this question <laughs> i am a originally from California. And so I was born and raised there. And as you could probably guess, there's just tons of diversity in terms of food options and different cuisines. And so I really miss really good dim sum Asian dumplings. And so there's this really good dumpling place, Ding Tai Fung, which is like soup dumplings, really delicious. And so I've just been craving that recently. So I think I'm going to say that. Yeah. Food craving. Never had it. Oh, they're so good. It sounds amazing. All right. Next question. I recall a Twitter post you may have made with a meme and the text that says, my students, when I tell them how long it takes to publish a journal article. Well, we're curious. How long does it take? Ah, yes, I remember that one. Um, it's much longer <laughs> than you think. Um, and it was really surprising for my students to hear some of my stories because, you know, you're in your graduate, your doctoral program for maybe, you know, four years, maybe five years or so. And you think, well, I'm going to publish a ton of papers when I'm a grad <laughs> student and it's going to be amazing. And I'm like, well, you know, if you start a paper in your third year in grad school, it's still going to take a long time for it to come out, like published and print. And, and so if I had to put a number on it, I would probably say like the quickest is probably 18 months. And I would say on average, we're talking about two years, like from initial submission. And that's if kind of all things go well, you know, sometimes you get rejected and you have to start all over again. And so 
I would say if you are really interested in publishing peer-reviewed journal articles, I mean, make sure you're kind of in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. That's surprising because when we often talk to our colleagues, we say, have you seen the new research that just came out in this journal? Well, it's yeah. two years old. It's three years old. <laughs> right, it's five right. years old. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's there's a different model, I think, in terms of publishing and the social sciences. I feel like other fields, it's like, get it out quickly. Two months after you discover something in chemistry, like you just get it out there. And now there's kind of new discourse around open science and about preprints and getting work out there kind of before the peer review process. I mean, arguments on both sides of that. But yeah, I think there are problems with how long this is taking and sure. can we get knowledge out to the field, to practitioners, to educators. And so, yes, definitely something we need to keep refining and reforming. What I know Carlton most for is the research that he does in feedback. So we're pretty focused on that today. Question for you, how does your research compare or contrast your experience receiving and engaging in feedback uptake when you were an undergraduate student? And also, what do you know now that you wish you knew and could go back and tell your college professors then? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would say, I think my mindset towards feedback when I was an undergrad or when I was a student um, probably wasn't fully developed, I would say. Um, I think I had a mindset where I think I just wanted praise and just validation. And, you know, this is how I'm doing it right. And I didn't really take negative feedback well, and I didn't see it as an opportunity for growth, an opportunity for learning. Um, and I think I just would internalize the feedback and, you know, make it about me versus the work. And I think I wasn't able to kind of separate those things and be like, okay, this feedback is not saying I'm a bad student or I'm a bad learner or I'm a bad writer or whatever the topic is, but be able to kind of zoom out and say, okay, this is actually designed to push my work further. And so I would say I would tell myself that and maybe tell my college professors, you know, 10, 12 or so years ago, hey, maybe reinforce that message that this feedback isn't directed at you as a person, but it's designed to improve your work. And making those messages explicit, I think would have helped maybe correct some of my wrong mindset I had about feedback. And I don't know how often we frame our feedback as instructors. Maybe some do more than others, but like you're saying, explicitly state and help students to take the feedback in a way that we intend. <laughs> right. Sometimes we just think it's assumed like, okay, students are going to take this as constructive, but it's like, no, not all the time. And I think our <laughs> default is to take it too personally, maybe. So I would wonder what level do undergraduate students expect feedback rather than just getting a grade and saying, oh, I got to be on this. I mean, I, I can't recall expecting feedback. I mean, it's been many, many years since I was an undergraduate student, but I can't recall ever getting feedback, nor wow. did I expect it. 
Right. Yeah. So what are the norms, right, that undergrads are working with? And I think, and it varies by domain, right? You might not be getting a ton of feedback on a calculus quiz, but maybe in a writing intensive class, you might be getting more of that detailed feedback. And so thinking about the norms and expectations students may have and being able to address those and talk about them more explicitly with students, I think would be really helpful too. So they know what to look for. Sometimes students are just like, okay, on their LMS system, they're like, okay, what grade did I get? And then then close the window versus like, can I actually continue the learning process in this exchange, in this dialogue that feedback's really initiating, so. And that is one of the greatest frustrations that our faculty talk about often, that the feeling at least, that when they give extensive feedback, they're not sure that students are even reading it and certainly not aware that students are applying it. I know, yeah, that is a really interesting point. And when I recently published this new piece on feedback, which I think we'll get to, I organized our paper in terms of this like five question framework and someone on Twitter actually responded to my post about this new paper. And she said, I would think the first question is, did you read the feedback? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah. Like, obviously that's such a important kind of like prerequisite, right? When we talk about the impact of feedback, it's like, well, did they even read the feedback? And so I totally agree. And I think understanding the norms and expectations of feedback is really important to address. And so one thing that I do in a class I'm actually teaching right now is I kind of have a project where they work on it throughout the entire course of the semester. And part of that is thinking about, okay, I'm going to give them weekly feedback on different components of this project that they're doing across the semester. And I'm not really grading on the final product, but I'm really grading on, are you able to take the feedback I've given you and implement it in the next stage of the project? And so I think it behooves the student to now actually have to pay attention to the feedback I'm given because really the project is driven by, can I take the feedback and improve on it the next time I submit the next component. So it doesn't work for every class, but I think there are ways to kind of incentivize like, okay, this feedback is important, right? It's going to help you shape kind of where you take your project. And so something I've been wrestling with as well. So as you say that, I wonder if we could make response to feedback part of the rubric for an assignment, which would require me as the faculty member to provide actionable feedback yeah, and then have the students respond to that feedback. I love that. And I think with different LMS systems, there are probably ways to, mm-hmm. to maybe try to build that in more easily. But it's fun for me when I leave comments on my LMS grading system, like you could respond back to the comments and it's kind of fun to kind of go back and forth with students and That tells me, okay, they're actually engaging with the feedback, which is nice to see as an instructor. We were drawn to your latest research on motivational and emotional perspectives in feedback research. 
What are some of the findings that came as a surprise to you? Yeah, so this was a kind of a conceptual paper that we were scheming to write for a long time. And when I announced this paper on social media, I actually showed the date created on our Google Doc with, <laughs> with the with the title. And it wasn't because we were procrastinating, but because we had this idea to write this paper back in, I want to say 2014. So wow. a good nine years ago, we were like, it would be awesome if someone wrote this paper and we like wrote this outline and we hadn't <laughs> come back to it, you know, because timing wasn't quite right. But we had eventually got to this paper and we were really excited because we had noticed so many different fields in education, subfields and outside of education as well. So many different people work in silos and they don't talk to each other and they don't combine and integrate ideas across different perspectives. And so the two bodies of literature that we thought weren't really talking to each other was the work on motivation in an ed psych perspective and the work on feedback from a assessment and higher ed perspective. And we were just commenting and throughout this paper that, hey, they're not really talking to each other. And maybe we could write a paper that kind of combines some of the observations we've had from both of these literatures and how they can learn from each other, how they can improve our understanding of effective feedback that's motivationally and emotionally supportive. And so I think that kind of surprised us still that they were relatively siloed and there were ways that we could bring them together. And the way we did it was through a five question framework where kind of based on some of our research, we had thought of the process by which students interpret feedback. And we thought of it in this kind of progression where the first question a learner may ask themselves is, what does the feedback mean? <laughs> right? What is this telling me? Kind of what is the meaning behind the feedback that I'm receiving? And the second question is, how do I feel about the feedback? Because we think emotions are such a visceral type response to different stimuli. And so we wanted to think about, okay, what are the emotions that are initially elicited from this feedback? And then the third and fourth questions were, can I use the feedback to improve? And do I want to use the feedback to improve? And then the fifth and last question is, am I socially and contextually supported to actually use this feedback? And we really liked kind of these five questions because it not only reflected what our research on students' views of feedback and kind of how they process feedback to be like, but it also gave us an organizational schema on how to review kind of the rest of the literature, right? Like how are other studies in education addressing different facets of these questions? And so it kind of became this nice template for us and so we think that will impact kind of future work and future studies on feedback because you can kind of begin to target these five questions, right? Like you can target students in the different phases of the feedback process. 
as well as for instructors to kind of use it as a reflection on how they give feedback, right? If students are interpreting feedback in these phases, then am I giving feedback that actually helps them answer these questions, right? Is my feedback clear? Is my feedback going to anger students or is my feedback going to make them excited or make them curious? Am I giving feedback that enables students to engage in the feedback improvement process? And is it motivating for them to do so? And am I, as an instructor, socially and environmentally supporting their growth from the feedback? And so we just thought it was cool. Like we didn't set out and say, hey, these are the five questions and it's going to be amazing. Like we kind of like thought about it and kind of like, poured over this and we're like, wow, these questions are not only useful theoretically, useful from a learner perspective, but it's also useful from a instructor perspective. And so we, we kind of convinced ourselves like how much we liked it from these different angles, because we think it can impact kind of different facets of a pretty complex problem, right? How can feedback be motivating and how can it further learning? And so we wanted to make sure all of these different angles were addressed in our work. And I know that was a long answer. Yeah, but as much as we value the importance of feedback, my guess would be that a very small percentage of the people teaching in higher education have ever been taught how to devise and provide feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how to give feedback as well as how to even be instructors, right? I mean, yeah. Most professors are content experts. They're not necessarily trained to be instructors and the assessment and evaluation process of learning. Instructors typically just kind of duplicate what they've experienced as students without much reflection and much planning and thought about how can my teaching and how can my assessments and feedback be most learner-centered, right? And so, yeah, I would love for more instructors to reflect on their practice and improve upon their practice a lot more intentionally. And this isn't like a bragging session, but, you know, sometimes I get course evaluations and some students say like, oh, wow, like this was the first time X or this was the one class where I actually did this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what 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 else have you experienced in your other classes? Like, it just exactly kind of surprises right. me that I'm like, oh, like, this is the first time this kind of pedagogical, what I thought was kind of basic, like, didn't happen. Like, I'm like oh, gosh, you know. So anyways, yeah, I totally agree with you, so. Well, we got to stop here for today, but we'll be back next week with part two with Carlton Fong. So join us on the Digital to Learn podcast. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.